Today's episode is all about innovation in college athletics. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have driven success in their career? And then we take all those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, today's episode is another one of our college leaders series, where we're sitting down with some of the most innovative leaders in college athletics. And today's guest is my friend, Eric Nichols. Eric is the Senior Associate Athletics Director for Marketing and Branding. He's also kind of the Chief Marketing Officer, if you will, at the University of South Carolina in their athletics department. So Eric oversees digital, marketing, social media, university band and spirit programs, as well as serving as the primary liaison for licensing, merchandise sales, outsource entities, including IMG for multimedia rights, IMG Learfield Ticket Solutions for outbound sales, uh, and he's also the secondary sport administrator for men's and women's soccer. We wanted to have Eric on the show because he and I always have really good conversations about customer experience and how to break the mold of what currently athletics has always been about, which is kind of like if you build it, they will come. Uh, There's definitely been a shift uh, a little bit over the last four or five years, if you will, with some of the senior leaders thinking, hey, we got to be more innovative in how we serve our fans. And Eric is at the front of that group. And he's going to talk about some of the different things that South Carolina has done over the pandemic and are now launching this year uh, at their football stadium to really show that they're they care about the fan and they know that if the fan doesn't show up, they can't do all the nice things and all the incredible, uh, impactful things that they do for student athletes without the fans. So uh, I, I won't go any longer. I won't steal any of the thunder, but we get into everything here from employee experience to renovated club areas in the stadium. Uh, we cover a lot of different things with Eric, but most of it is all focused around innovation, around customer experience and employee experience in college athletics. So without further ado, here's my friend. Eric Nichols. Eric, welcome to the show. What's up, babe? How you doing? I am. I'm so happy to have you on. Uh, it's bright and early. I'm Central Time on the road today. I know you're Eastern Time. It's st- still early for all of us. But uh, again, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to jump in with you. Absolutely. I look forward to the conversation. All right, let's let's start us off. We are like, I don't know, it seems like a week away from football at this point. It, it just gets the days are flying by, but football season is finally here. It looks like we're going to have stadiums full of people. Uh, what is new at South Carolina? Talk to us about what you guys have going on and what you guys have planned from a fan experience perspective this year. Sure. And we're recording this the, the day after the first day of classes. So what is new is that parking is tough around campus and long lines mm. uh, to get lunch. But other than that, that's not what you're asking about. Um, this is like Groundhog Day a little bit because we pl- we opened four new clubs last year that we were really excited about, we worked really hard on, but we really weren't able to show the the Gamecock world how great they were. There's a limited amount that got to uh, uh, experience a game day in them last year, but it, it, it's kind of like, let's, let's rinse and repeat, let's do it all over again and relaunch these clubs because we're really proud of them. And every time we show them off, the common comment is like, wow, this is NFL quality. And 
And to us, what we're most proud of is that we did it on a budget, <laughs> but we still got uh, high quality products that should yield fantastic revenue on a budget. So, okay, let's talk about those clubs. So we got Horseshoe, Cockaboos, Traditions. What am I missing? There's one I'm missing. The, the 2001 Club. Okay. The, the 2001 Club and, is um, I, what we think is one of the greatest team entrances in college football is 2001. Our, um, I've been doing it, I, I guess it started in 83. certainly predates me. Um, but this is a little bit like the Cowboys innovated a while back where we put fans right in the middle of the action where they can be in the team tunnel slapping fives with uh, with the players as they come on the field. Obviously, last year they couldn't slap fives with the team, uh, but that's something we're looking forward to this year. But it's a you know it's a cool three level club. It's got a terrace on top, loge suites. Um, I think there's 80 seats uh, of loge suites, so it's a very intimate, small, uh, but um, high value uh, piece of inventory. It's it's really cool, and we can't wait for people to experience it for real. Where did where did you guys come up with the idea for that? Because it seems similar to me. Like in, if you've been to a lot of the new soccer specific stadiums, they have that concept where the, the team leaves the locker room and walks through the most premium area and they're high fiving. Is that where you guys got that inspiration? A little bit. I mean, it was it was probably more so, you know, when you're dealing with an almost hundred year old football stadium, you kind of got to find the nooks and crannies. And that's what led to some of the opportunities here. Um, but that 2001 in particular that was a, you know, it was an open air space that was covered with a tarp before. And it just, I think we got inspiration from Colorado. I think they have a corner end zone uh, facility. I'm not sure if it's premium or not, but uh, they have seats on top and it, uh, that's what gave us the inspiration. And then our minds went wild with uh, the team experience and connecting with players on game day is, is really, is really kind of differentiated. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. And I, th I think when we think about fans and what they care about today, I mean, access is probably at the top of that list and exclusiveness is at the top of that list. And so for the, it, for you guys to build it, a it really is. Has both of those combined. Yeah, it really is. And, and, you know, the, the difficulty in college space is, you know, we have to tread lightly with access with student athletes to where, you know, pro teams, they have a little, they can be a little more liberal with what they can do and how they can do it. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's been it's been a fun experiment, and we're learning every day. Is that changing now though with NIL on the rise? I mean, does that change how you think about that access? I mean, we can go into this a little bit. I don't want to spend the whole time talking about NIL, but I feel like that dynamic changes a little bit. No, it does, but at least in our state law, we can't facilitate at all. So we have to definitely keep an arm's length away. Um, but we want to set up. You know, we, we want to make that uh, that opportunity as seamless as possible should it present itself as being good for both parties. No, that makes total sense. So you mentioned with the, the different clubs and we're going to put links to the clubs so that people, if you guys are listening to this and you're curious about what they actually look like, I know it's hard to hard to do on a podcast, uh, but in the show notes, we'll put links to these clubs so you can see it. You mentioned you did it on a budget. These are beautiful NFL style club spaces. You know, our goal was to create more than just nice air conditioned boxes. We wanted to have a story in it and each of them have their own stories and their own target market, which is, I mean, that's what I feel we delivered on, which is what we're most proud of. Which of the one is, which of the four is your favorite and why? <laughs> Without a question it's the Cockaboos club. Uh, I put a lot more time and effort and my own uh, mental capacity in, into that because 
quite frankly, it was the hardest. It was an old weight room. And people from the 80s are like, oh, my gosh, this, this used to be a weight room. You know, that's, that's really cool. But it, I think the Cockabooses are one of our iconic brand um, experiences. Uh, we don't own them, which most people don't know. Uh, but they're right adjacent to our stadium. They're old. They're uh, almost antique rail cars that sit right on the apron of our concourse. Uh, but they're a bit iconic to our game day experience. So we use that as inspiration. And we like to say that it was like a, a train station and a brewery had a baby. That's what it looks like in there. So it, it definitely pulls the cockaboose um, imagery, but then it feels like a brewery and it's aimed at the blue collar uh, the blue collar fan. It's the least expensive club seat in the SEC, which is something that we really wanted to create. I love it. Yeah. And I, I think that's going to be this gradual evolution too, right? Is I think as we've thought about stadium design, we think about these really high end areas and then it's kind of like, well, what does the average Joe get? And I remember the, the first time that I really kind of shifted my mindset on this was talking to Notre Dame when they were rebuilding their stadium and doing the $400 million renovation. They kept, they were really smart and they kept asking, yeah, we're, the, the high end fans are going to get taken care of. We got that. What are we doing for the average Joe? And when I think about this this area, like the Cockaboose Club that you guys have built, it is something that you're doing to serve the average Joe, not just saying, ah, we're going to give them low price points. That's what we're doing to serve them. Uh, you're yeah. still creating a yeah. unique experience for them. Yeah, and, and, and that's the goal, right? So, you know, we have club seats and suites that are very premium and priced accordingly. But we wanted to make these uh, affordable, attainable, um, also with an eye towards upgrading people that were sitting in there already. So the other thing about this project is that we didn't lose but a couple of hundred seats. So we didn't have to displace many people. So it was about retaining them and keeping them in the club. And uh, we had high percentage of renewals that stayed in their exact seats, which is fantastic. Uh, well, let, let's talk a little bit about Cockaboose Railroads in general. If people have never tailgated at South Carolina or they've never been to a game, I think it's hard to... And we're going to put, again, we'll put links in the show notes so people can see what this is, but maybe describe a little bit about what the tailgate scene looks like on game day and how it's constructed. And because I think it's one of the most unique tailgating experiences in the country. Sure. Well, uh, as I mentioned, the, the cockabooses are, it, it's, a, it's old rail cars. It's, I think it's 25 cars that are connected on the south end zone from our stadium and they're tiny. I mean, they're they're like a hallway. If you walk in there, they, they look like a small RV, uh, but they're decked to the nines. I mean, they, they look fantastic. Uh, and then there's a deck on top that has a awning, if you will. And there'll be there'll be people playing live music. There'll be a DJ up there. Each has their own little little flavor, but they're all privately owned. Um, typically, people in, invite their friends and family over to grab a drink, and then they keep walking around. So it's not a it's not the kind of space where you hang out all all pregame, but it's definitely a uh, stop by and see uh, your, your friends, your neighbors. The, the more uh, long-term tailgating is just across the street where we have the luxury of having something called Gamecock Park. Because our stadium is off campus, we have, uh, what, 3,500 just beautifully landscaped grass spaces with oak trees that, I mean, just look straight out of a you know, a, a Southern movie. I mean, it's, it's just dripping with all sorts of tradition. Um, and the team walk, the band, and, you know, all of our, our fan fests are in that area. Um, we have cable hookups for some of them and power. So, I mean, it's a, it, it's everything that you would want in a tailgate for, for someone like, I can't speak for you, but for someone like me, that, that I don't want to fool with 
you know, a satellite dish connecting. To oh, I agree with you. Spending three hours trying to connect my dish while I'm sweating five pounds off in the South Carolina heat. Yeah, the the more the more set up it already is ahead of time, the better for me. I mean, I, I feel like I've gotten to the point too where, you know, my my dad's gonna kill me for saying this. You know, we grew up doing <laughs> so much yard work just every all the time, and that was in his mind. He was like, "That's why I have four boys so that they could do my yard for me, right?" <laughs> and and it's funny now, like as an as an adult, like very much, I have the mindset of like, I'm gonna pay somebody else to do that yard work. I, I've got too much going on in my life. And I feel the same way with tailgating too. Like what can I, what's already set up that I can go in there and I still want to be able to host a party and have fun as a millennial, but I also want a lot of that taken care of me or take it, taking care of it for me. So I love that you guys have that kind of offering for, I mean, it, I think it hits a lot of today's fan, what they want to do. It's the today's fans needs and wants and expectations are very different on game day. And I, I love that you guys have it set up for that. Thank you. Um, well, let's let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about some of the other projects at Williams Bryce Stadium that you guys are excited about. Are there other things that are that are big that are going on that you're really excited about coming up for this next year or looking down the road in the future years? You know, th- this may not be where you're going. It's more of a we're anxious about, not excited about. But um, so also in also last year we we had the the four new clubs, but it was the first year we sold beer in our stadium. And it was a good dry run to, again, retrofit an old stadium with beer, which uh, getting a little nerdy, but you know, the point of sale ratio is just not feasible. You can't put enough points of sale in the stadium and have people also walk around uh, to meet the demand. So it's trying to be creative there to meet the beer demands. One thing that we did, which was, which was kind of cool, we um, and it'd be tough to describe on a podcast, but we took two concession stands that were adjacent to an elevator and we made what we're calling a beer cave, but it's a, it's a walkthrough convenience store beer, uh, beer concession stand, if you will. But the intent was let's again, find a nook and cranny that we can alleviate some concourse traffic and, and try to allow people to get in and out as quickly as possible. Um, so that we're anxious about cashless. We were cashless last year. Mm-hmm. We're cashless again this year. Um, cashless allowed us to be tax exclusive, which was a financial decision that folks um, may not, uh, well, they certainly don't know it yet, but they, they will in two weeks. Uh, but, but we did lower the prices um, such that we could add tax and the, the ultimate price lands about where it was. But you, know, you can't, when, the reason why you have whole dollar concession prices is because you're dealing with cash. When you're dealing with credit, you can have 589 and you can have 779 and it'll be it'll be it'll take a little getting used to but i think college sports were the last place that you had round number items so um i'll be curious to see how that that comes together so so interesting uh when i think about the the beer cave and what you guys created there where did you get inspiration for that when you were looking at hey how do we handle we, we want to put more points of sale, but we also know that the more points of sale that we put in, the more backed up our concourses are going to get. What what sources of inspiration, where did you guys look to come up with the idea of the beer cave? Sure. Well, I, obviously, we have some really talented people here and our uh, campus architect, project manager, I'm not really sure her title, and Derek, she's really good at seeing uh, opportunities and spaces. And I think it was the all-star game that I went to in Cincinnati was the first time that I saw this concept of a convenience store in a 
in a in a concourse. And when we were asking questions, they said, "Oh yeah, that used to be a you know a janitor's closet or something like that." I mean, it was a ten by ten box basically. And they said that box generated. I'm just making up numbers, but from memory, it was $150,000 of new revenue. And, the, and that, you know, the light bulb went off. It's like, oh, wait a minute. That's that's a pretty good idea. So this isn't exactly that, but those sorts of things led to finding finding opportunities in the physical structure that can solve a need. That being said, we, we're still, we're right at the ratio where we need to be, uh, but it's still pretty tight. Yeah. And, and we'll see how it goes this year. Right. I mean, I, I think it'll probably go pretty well. I mean, I, I look at a lot of the new, obviously I, I spent a lot of time in new soccer stadiums as well. Uh, I was just at, at FC Cincinnati game this week and, and they've got a great convenience store, little Mart for the beers. Um, and it, it alleviates traffic and it makes serving a heck of a lot easier instead of having 10 people in a concession stand, you got two people at a cash register. So you're lowering on labor costs there as well. And it's, it's just a cool experience as a fan getting to pick the one you want and take it out of the cooler. Uh, I, I enjoy it personally. So I'm excited to see how it goes for you guys. Well, well, let's get into some broader innovation topics. Uh, Eric, anytime you and I have conversations, it's normally about some new idea that's on the fringes here that we're looking at. Um, so what are some bigger trends in the industry that you're studying and you're interested in and you're keeping an eye out for? You know, I, I don't know that it's a trend in the industry. It's more trend in consumer behavior. Um, it's empathy and how to scale empathy. And it's really, it's really something that, uh, so we certainly haven't cracked the code yet, but you know, we're in an in, we're college athletics, and I would like to consider us big time college athletics, Division One, SEC. You know, we have fourteen thousand annual fund members, but we don't treat them all the way we should, quite frankly. And these people are giving their hard earned money. Some of it, it's a lot of their discretionary income, and it's it historically has been a very transactional uh, relationship, and. We have invested in data to try to alleviate that and become more efficient, but, and that gets us only so far, you can't be empathetic with ones and zeros. I mean, you need to be a human. So we're investing in a retention team to try to get at that, to learn what, uh, what can move the needle. Um, again, human investment, not technology investment, but we can make the human investment because we did make the technology investment. Um, but we'll evaluate that. We'll look at, you know, renewal rates and some other KPIs to allow us to see, okay, we added three. Do we need to add three more? Um, that's where our attention is right now. We want to make the relationship with the Gamecocks almost like a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, where it's very difficult to break up with them. You know, if you're going to leave us, you got to feel bad about leaving, not the Gamecocks, but Eric. You, you need to you need to feel. Mm, I really don't want to make that call to Eric to say, you know what, this isn't working out for me. I mean, no one wants that conversation. That's what we want to create. So, okay, I let's get into this because I'm I love that analogy that you just used uh, of the boyfriend girlfriend breaking up. All right, so you're you're approaching it from from twofold. You're saying, hey, how can we add human capital to this to make sure that we actually have enough staff to be able to build those relationships? But you said you're also looking at it from a technology perspective to say. You know, how do we have how are we capturing data uh, around these relationships to measure and know if we're doing a good job? So maybe let's talk a little bit about some of the human capital plan first and then some of the technology side of things to see what are you actually measuring? I'm especially interested in the specific KPIs you guys are going to be focused on to measure that relationship. Sure, I'll give you a couple of examples. So um, 
we invested in uh, Salesforce um, CRM, but also Salesforce Marketing Cloud. We have the digital suite so that you know a chat that comes in is automatically into our CRM. Really, really powerful tools that you know, because we have spent time and investment getting into it, we know we think we know how to get the most out of it. But an example there is uh, like most schools, we have a we have students that answer phones and a student, I mean, even the good ones, they're they're 18, 19 years old and they're gonna forget to give a message or write something down and not, you know, not deliver it to the right person. And that ends a relationship, I mean, potentially. And we need to create processes with our CRM such that you you when someone calls in, you see that person's contact on your screen, there's a case file so that we do not let that thing fall apart uh, in the future. We're not quite there due to pandemic, but we're almost, we should be there by the end of this fiscal year. But a, a little bit more direct answer is on the outbound team. Every piece of the pipeline has, um, has a footprint. So I'll give you an example of something that we saw recently. We, um, I had a thought, or we had a thought that the length of time it takes for someone to submit an entry form or a uh, interest form that says, hey, I'm interested in season tickets. Does that correlate between, uh, it, does that margin of time between the time they sent the form and the time they were called, does that correlate to success? And we were able to do that. We had all of the data, pulled it in, organized it, ran the analysis and learned that hmm, it does. It sounds like it makes sense, but it does. It had a strong correlation that if you call them back within 24 hours, the success rate improved threefold to where, okay, now that we know that, now our sales team creates a new dashboard that before the end of the day, their pipeline of, of leads has to be exhausted before they go home. And they see that throughout the day. It's a clear graphical representation and it's, and it's easy and it sounds logical, but if you put yourself in a situation where you don't have the data, then now it's my opinion and I can't prove it and it becomes potentially a difficult conversation. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think the other thing too is, you know, we, we see this all the time as we're working with people. If you don't have the data, it's hard to invest in the human capital to say we need, our guys can't get to all these calls. And we know that if they call them back within 24 hours, we're going to renew at X amount of higher rate, which translates to Y amount of dollars. So we have the data that says we actually can invest in this human capital as opposed to having to get some crazy approvals just because the team's complaining that they're understaffed. Everybody complains about that. But if you have the data, it makes it a lot easier to invest. And I'm guessing that was the case for you guys, right? Well, yeah. And, and, and when you're dealing in large numbers like we are with, you know, big time college football, you know, I, I think it's one percentage point of a renewal rate is a quarter of a million dollars. So it doesn't take much to prove a concept when we're dealing with numbers like this. Um, so um, we, we will have a retention staff of three in addition to our BI team this year, and we'll see how it goes. Is this all in-house for you guys, or, or is it outsourced to a third party? How, how do you have the structure set up of, of this team? We were um, partnered with a third party until this July, actually. So July 1st, we brought that team in-house and uh, they are 100% athletics department employees. Beautiful. And did you have to bring in outside skill set for that? Or, or did that skill set more or less already kind of live in the department 
Uh, or, I mean, how did you approach that? Because I, when I think about what we're talking about from a business intelligence perspective, from a, an empathy perspective, like you said, uh, sometimes it doesn't live traditionally in athletic departments. So did you have to hire new or had you guys already been building the team with that kind of skill set in mind? We have a, we have a good partner in SSB is our data, data warehouse, um, service provider, if you will. And they have been a good consultant if you, to, to give us a roadmap to success. It's something that I'm passionate about, so that helps that I'm in a role that I can have some influence. Our sales team is led by a guy who, you know, five years ago, he, he was a sales guy. He was a GM, your standard GM that's curious. Now that you know, he, him and I work together, and now he is light years ahead of me on his data knowledge. And he, he is our BI leader. He's associate AD for business intelligence and ticket sales. So we had the staff internally. As far as resources, I mean, I mean, you you provide it actually, and, and I consume it. But resources are out there. Whether I'm talking about employee culture service or business intelligence and building a Tableau dashboard, it's out there. You just have to go get it and teach yourself. Usually, I I definitely th- I mean, obviously, you and I have talked about this. I I think that is the really interesting thing about today is that if you're curious enough about it, and if you're willing to go down rabbit holes, and if you hear something that you don't know about on a podcast, in an article, and you click the hyperlink, it's going to take you down a rabbit hole that you're going to learn a ton more. And it's going to take you three more links down the way. And before you know it, you're thinking about your space, your job in a whole new way. Uh, and I, I, I don't think enough people do that. But I think that's one of the most valuable skills that you can pick up right now as a, as a leader. And, and when you uh, layer that with, I'm sorry, when, when you layer that with human relationships, you have someone that you can call when you get to a little bit of a of a of an obstacle. You can call Drew at Texas or Michael at Texas A and M and say, "Hey, um, I, I kind of saw this, but what what am I missing here? What 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 else can you tell me about this problem?" And uh, when you layer those together, you can solve most anything. Speaking of uh, of Michael at Texas A and M, I'm recording one of these with him later today, so it's going to be just a a, a day oh, of innovation no. in college athletics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell him I said hello. I will. I will. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about while we're on this topic of, of human capital, of empathy. Uh, I want to talk about something that both you and I are, are passionate about right now. And that is kind of where we're at in this state of sports and entertainment and, and culture. Uh, I mean, for a long time, I think sports and entertainment, college athletics has really been focused on, hey, we deliver this product for our fans and we work long hours and we burn the candle at both ends because we're trying to serve our fans and trying to create experiences. And if you don't like it, there's someone on the street that's willing to step up and, and take your role. Um, and it's kind of always we've looked at employees more or less as, as assets or commodities. But now both of our Twitter feeds are just filled with people that are really talented people that are leaving the industry because they're saying, you know what, I'm kind of over it and, and I can go get paid more to work less in another industry. So how are you guys, how are you thinking about this right now in terms of employee experience and culture? What's on your mind? Well, I mean, I, I think you nailed it. Um, I'm, I'm a 47 year old man and I grew up in the time when you just, you roll up your sleeves and you, you do basically everything. And if you don't, as you said, you'll be replaced by someone who would love to do it for less money probably. Uh, and you know, that, that is what we thought was right. Um, I, I think a little bit of, of it is society is changing. I think a little of it is we're just realizing that uh, we need to invest in our people 
and, and I don't necessarily mean financially. I mean, that, that can help. I mean, obviously, everyone can use an extra buck or two, but they got to know that they that what they do has meaning and it contributes to the ultimate goal of of, our, of your department, whatever you stand for, and that they have value. And, and then on the flip side, they need to know that their uh, compadre is going to be held accountable for not delivering on that goal. And those sort of things kind of go together. It, it's not all fluffy and unicorns and sunshine. It's it's about it's about being real and having real conversations. I learned through some you know tough experiences with uh, with my own staff that I was not as approachable. You know, I, I'm I'm just a guy, right? That's the way I think of myself. But others would let, would say, "Man, you you can be so intimidating." I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" But I took that to heart, and I'm I, I'm having to be intentional about engaging with uh, my staff on on a personal level. And it's not that I didn't want to before, but I just get in work mode, and I, I gotta I have been struggling to force myself to get out of work mode just because that's you know that's all I know. But it's helped. I mean, we we had. You know, we had some of the best years the last couple of years as a staff, and I think there's there's a strong correlation between what I've invested in them and what we've gotten as a team. This this topic's so interesting too, because for me, I'm kind of on you know coming from my Disney background, and I think it's partly just who I am as a person and like my strengths and weaknesses as a leader. For me, what I struggle with is more on the accountability side of things, right? Like for me, I tend to default to. I understand what's going on. I understand that they've got a lot of things. So it's okay that they missed that deadline. And I tend to go more towards like what I have to check myself on is not being too nice and fluffy and being more on the holding people accountable side of things. And I, so I think it's, I don't know that, that that's something that I struggle with personally. Um, I, uh, go ahead. And I struggle, I mean, anyone, I think most regular humans don't, don't enjoy conflict. I mean, I guess some seek it out, but, <laughs> I, I try to set up a, a system where it's objective. There's a scoreboard. You know, the football team, when they look at the scoreboard and they're, they have more points on the other team than they know they're winning. That's the way that I want to create a department is as many metrics that are objective so that when you're sitting down and not in the end of year evaluation, in the weekly meeting, you can say, well, hey, we didn't, we didn't get that done. I, I don't have to say it or maybe I can point it out, but it's not a, it's not as subjective that the more subjective it is, the more difficult it is. But when it's objective, to me, it's easy. It's it's really interesting, too, uh, that you say that. I mean, we've worked really hard over the last, I don't know, maybe even especially the last three months internally here. I mean, we've, we've got a small team, right? Less than 10 people. And so we've, but we've been really intentional the last three months about saying, all right, let's make sure that everyone has some metrics, that as a team, we're working towards metrics, as opposed to just, we're running so fast that we don't have time to measure stuff. We're just creating and creating. And I think that gets really dangerous because you're right. Then you, as a leader, you have to have these conversations that aren't really based on anything. They're based on opinion because baseline metrics haven't been set. And again, it, it's deeper than just about setting sales numbers, right? It's about looking at what someone's job is and saying, all right, how can we put some type of metrics here? Whether it's the number of emails that go out, whether it's the number of projects completed on time, uh, there's a million ways that you can measure everybody's roles. And I think without setting some of those KPIs for people, it makes having the conversation a lot harder. And, and you're hundred percent right. And, and many of ours are pass fail metrics and it's mm -hmm. difficult to put you know, uh, the, the engagement metric on something like the following. So one of our goals was to create a uh, 
cross-sport student section identity. We think we have some of the best students and student engagement in the country. And, and what makes them great is because they're great at football, they're great at basketball, they're great at women's basketball, they're great at baseball. Well, that's different, right? And so we want them to have an identity. Most identities are respective to a sport. Cameron Crazies are not at football, right? They're at basketball. And so one of our staffers' uh, objectives was to create, defend, launch, and activate a broad-based uh, student section. And we did that this week, and it, it was awesome. And, you know, it was pass-fail. It wasn't, you can't have to do that. You know what I mean? You're, you're not half pregnant. You you launched it, and it's it's awesome. Now the next goals will be how do you activate it and deepen it and make it part of a culture. And, and again, even pass failed metrics are they're better. They're much better than nothing. Right. It doesn't have to be this in-depth thing as long as people know what they're working towards. Um, so what are what are some of the other areas in this space? I mean, I think you, you've talked about doing some culture surveys that you guys have done internally. And that's kind of how you came to some of these realizations. I mean, what are some of the other initiatives that you're engaging in to become more aware and make sure that you're performing uh, in, in this area? It's a little bit early now, but we did um, we did do culture survey and, and we're we, we've gotten the feedback and now we're putting action plans in place. But at the root of it, what we have learned is that our staff want to be engaged more, communicated to more. It, it's not it's not anything that's earth shattering, but now it's OK. How do we set up processes and systems that when times get busy and tough, that we continue to have this process that can allow us to enhance and deliver this culture that we want and that they have told us that we're not quite we're not quite where we need to be when you say that they want to be engaged more did you guys get any deeper data as to what that actually means communicated more to me that makes total sense i mean in sports all the time i think as an employee you're like oh i saw that on twitter for the first time on like from some reporter breaking the news and and that has to be the way it has to be sometimes uh but when when the survey said that they want to be engaged more, did you have any deeper context as to what that means? Some of it is, um, uh, and, and I hate to keep going back to communication, but some of it is explanation and or um, involvement in decisions that are made at senior staff. Others are, I mean, it's kind of comical. Um, our all staff meetings are, they could be better. And, uh, and when they say they miss all staff meetings, our interpretation of that is they don't really miss the all staff meetings. They miss getting together as, as a staff and um, uh, you can call it social. There's, there's some work, but it's really about, you know, we're a, we're a large organization spread across multiple buildings. We're rarely in the same space altogether. So it's as much about being um, physically together uh, as it is being anything else. I mean, that, that's the most important the thing that we got out of that. Yeah. So there, there's some, some great work. I mean, that, that we've been studying and, and implementing, um, around just the different elements of culture and how it's not just about, it's not just about how leaders interact with people. It's about what are you doing to facilitate teamwork? I mean, one of the questions when we do culture surveys is, do you have a work best friend? Right. And I think it's 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 a question that seems frivolous. But when you actually get into the root of that question, when we run those surveys with clients is it gets down to do you do you enjoy working there? Like, do you have friends or are you just coming and being a robot, just performing your tasks? And that informs a lot about your culture and says a lot. So I think that speaks to your that desire from for camaraderie amongst the team. Sure. And, and just even in my role, I can I can have a, a 
an impact on it because our partners, our sponsors want to get involved with our athletics department. And we have done some social events with sponsors, um, you know, footing the bill. So it's, it's a no impact on our department. And those have been the most highly received. I mean, we had, you know, food trucks and ice cream out there on a hot summer day. I mean, it seems kind of trivial to us sometimes, but gosh, boy, was it received well. Oh, I, so, and on that note, I mean, it, you hit on such an important thing. If you are a retail company, this is a lot harder than if you're a sports team. I mean, we have so many things at our fingertip and, and it just takes reaching across the aisle to say, Hey, let's bring our sponsorship team in. Hey, let's bring our facilities team in and see if we can do that picnic, uh, you know, in the stadium or whatever it might be. Uh, let's see if we can do, it takes a little bit more work for sure, but like utilizing the assets that you have makes all the sense in the world and completely lowers the cost and enhances the ability to engage your employees. I mean, we, we used to do that stuff at Disney all the time where we'd be like, all right, our, our employee recognition thing is that we're going to go backstage behind it, behind a ride, right? Costs nothing, but it's such an exclusive experience that I still talk about when we got to do some of those things and we can do the same thing as a sports and entertainment company. So, um, well, you, you've got a lot on your plate right now between engaging your employee and employees and staff, engaging the fans. I mean, ultimately, like, how are you prioritizing you and your team's times right now? You know, it, it is it is difficult um, right now uh, after the pandemic. You know, we had significant attrition in our sales numbers, but it's trying to fill our venues back up, which is really no different than what is the my priority every you know, every year. Uh, until they're full, the job's not done. And but I've kind of extended that a little bit. I, I'm, I'm really diving into engagement, not not engagement in the company, nor engagement necessarily in social media. But um, it's more about okay. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan, and I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan. I don't live in those markets. So what are they doing to make me feel like I'm appreciated? Maybe, but how are they deepening my connection? How, how are they making sure that I'm a bigger fan or I continue down that that road? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're all seeing this unfortunate trend of people aren't going to games as in, in person as much anymore. So what is the equivalent of that in the next five to 10 years? What what what, you know, a tick, what equals a ticket now in 10 years as far as level of engagement? I don't know what that is yet, but that's something that we're we're trying to figure out. You know, is it? Is it something in the digital space? I, I, I don't know. That's not what's affecting me right now, but uh, that, that's what's consuming our time. Anything that's going down that path is what's taking my mind away. But it, I mean, honestly, if you're not thinking about what does that look like, the problems that we're having right now are the beginning of what's going to be really in our face five to 10 years from now. And I, I love that you guys are thinking about that. And so you mentioned looking over to kind of English Premier League with, with Tottenham Hotspur and how they're doing some of the things. Um, are, are there other people that you're looking at or, or, or leaders online, teams specifically that you're like, I think they're doing probably, a, they're probably on the cutting edge of engaging. What does that space look like? You know, probably not one in particular. I, I follow so many. I, I, I kind of have a wide net of where I get inspiration. So I, I don't know that there's any any one in particular, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm consumed by this concept of, I, I call it the Disney concept, but that sounds so, that sounds so obvious, but Disney tries to, I think, tries to get a family to come, I assume, once or twice in their life. 
right? It's not a every week thing. You know, I, I think that they're not in the season ticket market other than Orlando residents, right? So what is that equivalent to us? So we, we always prioritize season tickets. Well, in, growing up, that's just what we do. However, maybe maybe we need to prioritize, hey, if you're a Gamecock fan, just come to a game, one game a year. I don't care if it's the free beach volleyball event or, you know, a baseball game, baseball series, or, you know, the, the highest caliber South Carolina versus Clemson football game. Just, just take in again, get back to campus, feel those emotions and see the pageantry and rekindle all of those uh, memories that you had as a student or as a fan growing up. Maybe, maybe that should be our emphasis instead of trying to jam seven games down your throat when it might not fit. Fascinating. And I think another good case study that to me feels more doable and manageable for sports teams to look at is how the WWE is structured, right? So it's WWE is basically a, a smaller version of how Disney's structured. So when I think of, when you think about how Disney's structured, right, you have parks and resorts as one big area. You have kind of consumer products as another big area. Uh, you've got your media, at, which is your ABC, Disney Channel, ESPN. And then you've got studios where you're making the fe- feature length films. WWE as a sports and entertainment company is structured in exactly the same way. And when I think about South Carolina, so much of the focus is on that parks and resort segment, that in-person engagement where you're engaging with it from a consumer products perspective from historically, I feel like we've been pretty hands off and said, ah, we'll let, we'll just license it out and we'll take a percentage. Right. I think people are starting to change that guys like you and your peers are starting to bring that in a little bit more and do a little bit more creative things. But when it comes to media and studio, it's it's almost been it's been kind of neglected. And I think what you're trying to do with digital t- ties more into that. But go ahead. You're going to say something. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, that that when you look at the, the our annual fund Gamecock Club members and there's 14000, but then you look at our licensing numbers and there's, you know, three million worth of royalties that have been generated. I mean, those are hundreds of thousands of people that are spending money on your brand. But sometimes it's stopping there. And I want to I want to bridge that gap is, is our goal. Are there any concepts in particular that are, are really interesting to you? Obviously, there's so much in that space right now. People are experimenting left and right. Are there have there been any specific experiments that have caught your eye and said, oh, that's pretty interesting? I mean, like most, I've gone down the NFT rabbit hole and I I think there I, I definitely I'm, I'm more bullish on blockchain as a foundational technology than I am on NFT currently. Um, Cause I, I do think blockchain is our future, no doubt. Uh, but again, back to priori- prioritizing our time and resources, NFT, I think it's novel right now. I, it, I don't know that the market is there yet. And I don't think we're in a position to push and create that market as the market evolves and matures, then we'll, our current approach is we're going to be primed and ready to dip our toe in it, try things out. Um, I know you, you have a relationship with Zoe and you introduced me to her and her concept of fandom through NFTs is it's a bit uh, it, it's cerebral and I'm trying to get there. I don't quite see it yet, but um, maybe if I if I consume by volume, it'll just it'll just occur. Right. <laughs> It, it, it'll come it'll come from osmosis and another good one in that space i think that's done some cool stuff is uh 
Do you know Packy McCormick? He writes the non the not boring newsletter. That's that's another one for you. He's he's been doing a lot of stuff on fandom and this digital space and what that looks like, more long form type stuff. Um, but no, it's all it's all fascinating, and we'll see where it's at. I mean, with Miami launching their NFT marketplace, I think the numbers from this week they still haven't been selling out right now just yet of the NFTs, and they're in a marketplace that is more primed to consume those nfts in the most but somebody's got to be first right um and yeah and that's what actually looks watching miami and seeing launches like that that i thought was executed flawlessly they had a what appears to be a really good product uh in the nft space and and to see it you know it i don't know what their expectations were but to see it not sell out immediately communicates to me that maybe the market's not ready for it yet doesn't mean that I don't think they're doing great work, but it just means that, again, back to our empathy. And I would rather take that time not away from trying to create empathy with our fans and invest mental capital to figure that out. Makes total sense. Um, well, Eric, as we're, we're wrapping up here, I mean, what is you, you've got a giant billboard that you can give to other listeners that are on the show, obviously more senior leaders in sports and entertainment that are that are tuning in. What, what would be your billboard that you would put up? What would what would the billboard say? Um, it, it's probably not that creative of an answer. I, I think Simon's uh, read one of Simon Sinek's books and uh, this is what came out of it. But like a personal mantra, if you will, and mine is be better and basically what I'm saying is be better than yesterday and not rest on my laurels and, and be better might mean be a better father, be a better husband, be better community citizen. I mean, that, that's something that I could, I could certainly get better in is investing in my community uh, of Columbia, but uh, translating it to the sports world, it's just, I mean, we're in a time of change and you can either sit back and be, you know, a, a grumbling old man, or you can be better. And I, I think ultimately we're moving the right direction. It's going to be, it has been painful. It will continue to be painful, but as long as you're trying to just be one step closer to better today than you were yesterday, then I think it's, I think it's the right move. I love it. And it's, it's definitely sage advice right now where everything is changing so much and the speed at which our consumers and our fans and, and our student athletes, right. That we're serving. I mean, they, what their expectations are are changing more and more and more quickly than ever before. So if we're not constantly coming into the office every day saying, how can I do this a little bit better? How can we make this project that I'm working on better? We're, we're, in, we're in deep crap. <laughs> so, uh, well, Eric, you constantly are putting out great stuff on Twitter. Uh, and, and I think you're leading a lot of the innovation in the college industry right now. Uh, where can people follow along and see the things that you're working on and get engaged with you? It's kind of you to say thank you. Um, uh, Twitter is where I'm probably most active um, outwardly. Uh, it's just Eric Nichols, uh, at Eric Nichols on Twitter. Uh, Eric Wayne Nichols on Instagram. That's certainly more um, the, the personal side of Eric, but uh, but still guarded. And Facebook is definitely the personal side of Eric. <laughs> so I probably won't accept an invitation from uh, a stranger. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've been more uh, interested in LinkedIn lately. Um Mm. posting occasionally, but, uh, LinkedIn, it, 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 like I have a love hate relationship with LinkedIn, 
and uh, I'm now in love with it, but I'm sure I'll hate it too. LinkedIn's a whole fascinating place. I mean, sometimes there's really interesting, like insightful business content there. And then sometimes I'm like, that didn't happen, man. What, what, you didn't, you didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. But, but there, all the platforms are like that at this point. So guys, if you, if you loved what Eric was, was talking about and the way that he thinks about things, I definitely think it's, he's pushing a lot of the boundaries in college athletics. So go give him a follow, reach out to him. Uh, and, and I'm sure you're going to walk away with some new ideas. Like hopefully you did today. So, uh, Eric, thanks again for joining us and, uh, till our next conversation. Thanks, David. Take care. If you're focused on guest experience or employee experience, definitely go check out our email newsletter. As we work with pro teams and college athletic departments around the country, we're taking the lessons that we learn from our experiments and our projects, and we're putting those insights into the newsletter. A couple of times per week, you'll get everything from the articles and content that are inspiring us to innovate, as well as new tools that we're using and loving. If you get value from this show, you're going to love the newsletter. To sign up, head to engagementpartners.com backslash newsletter. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic, and with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk, and it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season. But how do you train the workers that start mid-season? Or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events. Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally, and you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked In has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to CheckedIn.app. That's C-H-E-C-K. D-I-N dot app. We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.